So good afternoon, everybody. Um, my name is Mary Fifleese. I teach history and political science here at the college, and I'm also the coordinator of study abroad programs. And I'm very pleased to introduce to you this afternoon two of my study abroad students. I told you, I told my class actually about about you guys. I did. Uh, Yusuf Abdenabi and Amjad Hussein, uh, who both two are two students who studied in China this past fall semester at Xi'an University. And uh, they were recipients of the very awesome program, pre uh, prestigious Gilman Scholarship awarded uh, to study abroad students. And so they're gonna be telling you about their experience in China as well as the Gilman Scholarship. And uh, I was just telling, telling the guys how we were talking about China the last few weeks in class two, so I'm sure we'll have some things to talk about here. So without further ado, I'm pleased to turn over to Anjat and to Yusuf. And I'm not sure who's taking it away first, but I'll turn off my mic. Um, hi, everybody. Welcome to my uh, mine and Yusuf's uh, Scholars Study Abroad uh, presentation. Uh, today, we're going to be talking to you about um, just a whole diversity of to topics based on what study abroad is, how you can enjoy it, uh, maybe some of the financials and some of the different topics that are available to students uh, here at Moraine Valley. So to begin, um, what I want to talk to you about is uh, so when most of us want to think about uh, study abroad, we think, why is it beneficial to us, right? We think, why do we want to go? Why do we need to go? Why do we even want to be different and step away from our own little circle, right? For me, um, I found that studying abroad is something that opens you up to leadership development because as an employer, most employers want to see people who can solve problems. Most employers want to see people who can help the company succeed over long periods of time. So what um, I learned was that when you go into a different area, whether it's China, Colombia, South America, you know, it doesn't matter where you go. Chaos is something that's always going to be around you because the first time that you step into a different country, you're going to feel what in the next slide I'll be talking about is culture shock. Um, the, what I'm referring to as chaos is just this whole new environment in which you have to adapt to the things that are going to be shown to you, and you're going to have to just figure it out, right? And as successful people in the business environment, you're going to want to, a problem is going to be thrown at you, right? You're going to want to solve and f know how to solve that problem, right? So the whole idea of leadership development is that when you enter a new country, you're going to be exposed to chaos, which is an org this whole new area that you do not understand. And then you're going to be talking about success because you're going to make that chaos into a success story, right? You're not going to let it defeat you. You're going to defeat it, and you're going to learn from that experience. So I also talk about enlightenment because to uh, tell you the truth, enlightenment is something that comes about when you travel a lot and you start to notice different people from different worlds. You start to open your mind up to the, all the different possibilities that are out there in the world. You know, you become more of yourself through the connections that you make with others. Um, understanding cultural backgrounds, right? So what this really refers to is the background and the backbone to a certain culture. Many of us, um, at least uh, a lot of us that have first come here to America, we know what it's like to uh, have a different identity and be adapted here into the American culture, right? I'm actually first generation uh, American. Uh, my parents moved here and then I was brought up here. So I know a lot about like cultural differences and what people do and how you act when you originally get here. And my belief is that like, you have to be able to understand a different culture and kind of adapt their beliefs into yours so that way you can actually become a better person and understand differences uh, better. This is always gonna be something that you have to um, take into account for the rest of your life because you never want to be somebody that's closed off. You always want to be somebody that is accepting of other beliefs. Um, and by working habits and within a society, right? As I traveled, um, to tell you all a little bit about myself, I've been to 12 countries already. I'm 20 years old, and I've traveled so much because I have family in very diverse areas. And so what the point is that with working habits, you learn about how a company or a certain individual um, works in a different area. In Latin America, most people don't know, but in Latin America, 
um, between the hours of 12 and 2, we have, a tip, we have a tendency to close our stores down, whether you're a big store or a small store, and you go have dinner with your family. You gather together, and you do just a diversity of fun things with them, right? And in China, you learn that like their working habits are like you work hard and then you also play. You know, um, in what I like, Chinese people have a funny thing. Like when they want to say, "Do you want to hang out?" as we usually do, they say, uh, "Do you want to play?" Um, I think it's because of a Chinese term of like mistranslation, but I always found that found that that was funny. Um, so working as a team is kind of important because when you go to study abroad, you're going to go with a diversity of other students, right? Um, it's not just gonna be yourself. You're gonna go with, say, people from other colleges. You're gonna go from, with people that you've never met before. So with this team of people, you're gonna have to learn how to problem solve. Uh, something as little as ordering food every day is gonna become something that's extremely difficult when you don't understand a language. So with problem solving, you're gonna have to with your team, you're gonna develop new friendships, you're gonna develop new attitudes, and they're gonna help you order that food that you need, and in my case, without pork. Um, so, uh, self-development and freedom, right? So, you know, some of us have been influenced by much of what our parents tell us, much of what our friends tell us, you know. We believe that it doesn't affect us, but really, at a subconscious, at a subconscious level, we, it really does. And so what I learned was that when I was abroad, 5,000 miles away, I was able to be more of myself. I was able to take into account the things that made me a different person and kind of understand myself better and understand people better. As I said before, leadership and development, this develops your character to understand cultures and everything better. Um, so this is what culture shock is. Uh, there's a little graph out there um, it's when you're leaving home and then you arrive at a new country so you get depressed a little bit. Um, after the depression you start to like, you're like, you adjust to the new area and when you are done at the program you're like, oh it's all good, this is my life now, you know. But later on you leave and then you come back home and then you're like reverse culture because I'm like, oh my god, I'm back home, what am I supposed to do now? Right? Like, you need to adapt back to like, the regular American lifestyle in comparison to the Australian in this case. Um, and also with uh, culture shock, you start to develop different tolerances and different perspectives on different topics. Um, so the job opportunities that are out there from people that are actually starting abroad or think about studying abroad are you working in an you can work in an international company very easily. You can actually, um, here in Chicago, there's like local company named Swift uh, where they take your passport and they actually process your visas and they teach you a lot about like the immigration policy and all that stuff for Americans that are going abroad or the or international students who are here in America. Um, you can work as a translator because now that you went abroad, you got a little experience with a different language such as Chinese or Spanish or you know, French, and now you can learn how to translate it to, a, like, if you really want to, a Fortune 500 company. Um, and a really cool thing that I found is, like, if you know more languages, you're going to be able to be in the loop. You're going to be able to be always informed about what's actually happening to, uh, in your company and around you. Um, another key factor is, like, you can actually become an ambassador. It's very easy for you to go from studying abroad um, and learning about different cultures, then uh, doing kind of like certain works with the government based on the scholarships that you receive, which we're gonna be talking later. And um, you can build up that, like, that international experience that people like to see when you want to do a job such as an ambassador. Yes, sir. Oh, sorry. Um, so for your transfer schools, um, so, what this studying abroad does for you when you're transferred to a four-year university, it makes you different and unique. So it makes you stand out in an application. So if you're planning on transferring to a four-year university, um, when you talk about it in a paper, you're gonna be different from everybody else. Even though another person might have straight A's just like you, you know, the extracurricular that you did was studying abroad and all they did was get the uh, straight A's. 
people in four-year universities, they like to see people who are social. They want to see people who are active within their communities. Um, so lecture and recommendations for uh, uh, letter of recommendation from Saudi abroad advisor means that like there, every time you go abroad, there's going to be an advisor, a person that goes there with you to help you solve everyday problems. And this person is going to get to know you better than anybody else you're ever going to know. And so they're going to be able to write a good letter of recommendation for you if you're a student. And benefits on your transfer, like I said, it's going to make you stand out. It's going to make you different, and it's going to make you a better individual um, for, uh, for your transfer school. Hello? Okay. So, all right, language, can, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Okay, so language development. Um, for those of you interested or uh, trying to learn a second language, studying abroad is probably the best way to go about doing that. Um, especially if you're taking an uh, intensive language program. Like before going to China, honestly, I thought the Chinese language was just those characters that you see right here. But this is, but these Romanized letters over here, these are actually also a part of the language. This is called pinyin. And basically, you use these and you translate them into this. Um, and a quick story, before we, uh, we left abroad, um, I had these two friends. Both of them, they studied Chinese uh, quite a bit in, uh, in high school and even in, um, even in their, their home universities. But while going through the program, both of them, they left nearly fluent, nearly fluent. So if you are trying to learn a second language, going abroad is probably the best way to, uh, to become proficient in that language. Now, there's something called critical need languages. And they're listed right here. Arabic, Chinese, Hindi, and Spanish. Um, on a side note, a scholarship program will award you more money if you do go to a, a country that speaks one of these four languages. Um, and for example, why, why are these important? Why is Arabic important? Why is Chinese important? Why is Hindi? And why are they, why are they important languages? And for a quick example, I put oil company. Say you want to work for an oil company. The Middle East is the top provider of oil in the world. If you're proficient in the Arabic language and you want to work for an oil company, you're going to be ahead of everybody else trying to work for an oil company. And even teaching English. Teaching English in uh, countries like Saudi Arabia and Dubai is not easy. You, they don't allow you to go and teach there if you're not proficient in the Arabic language. And Chinese, that's important because of, uh, of business. We have several, several trades with China, being China being the number one uh, exporter in the world. Hindi is important because the, because about 10 years from now, they're going to be on the same level as China when it comes to exporting. And their population is quickly rising. They've uh, almost reached about a billion people. China, 1.4 billion. Spanish, we have a lot of migration from, uh, from the south, from South America. And being proficient in Spanish is something the government has been trying to do for a while now. Uh, yeah, I see you. All right.
It works. Um, okay. Um, so, all right, translator, right? We want to figure out how to communicate with other people abroad because this is um, this is pretty tough. If you go to a place like China, you know, they um, the way they talk, it's all about how you pronounce things. Like, um, there is a certain word, right? If you pronounce it correctly, it could mean no. But if you pronounce it incorrectly, just by a tiny bit, like up, down, you can literally be telling somebody to die. So the difference there is great. Uh, and so you got to understand that the language is very important to understand, to like comprehend and how they use it. Um, so what I realized while I got there is because my language was non-existent, um, I had to communicate through, uh, through signals, right? Hand signs and all that stuff. So typically in um, China, there's like little things that people don't know about. Like um, if you think of somebody doing this, right, it would mean like just a peace sign or something here. But in China, this means six. Or if you do something like this, this means nine. So the different, the different uh, hand signs would communicate to a number. And then the number you can use to like figure out how much you need to pay for a certain item. And um, so what was pretty important to me was learning these hand signs in order to be like, oh, I want that item. And I'll be like, how much, right? And so they would respond like this, which would mean 10. Or they could respond like this, which means five. So it really all depended on the prices. I mean, it would, but it, I think it would be a little bit harder for them to understand. Like, I remember that when I originally got there, I tried doing like nine. And they're like, what? And then you have to learn like the little, like, the little hand signs because it's easier. They, they like to use things in one hand. So I figure that uh, by doing the little hand signs, they can make their communication skills a lot simpler. Um, so also, I use like the little hand gestures of like uh, communicating like that, that. Like sometimes little things like if you do a certain action incorrectly, it could be insulting to a certain culture. So you got to understand that doing one hand dresser here is good, but over abroad, wherever you're going, whether it's China or Dubai or Middle East, it doesn't matter. You have to take into consideration the cultural difference and what this could do if you do, if you make a little wrong hand gesture. You know, um, it's really it's really important for you to understand that going abroad is about taking the culture and making it into uh, embedding it embedding it into yourself and making yourself a better person. Um, so communication through technology. So typically what I used to do as well is I would have my phone on me at all times. And uh, before I left to China, I downloaded the, what, the Google Translate app. And I downloaded the um, non-online version of the book. So if I needed to talk something, if I needed to say something, I'll just type it in my phone. It would translate and I could show it to the vendor. And that's how I got my pinging or how I got my characters out so people can communicate with me. Also, and a very important tool, which most of us here in America don't need, but if you guys ever heard of like apps like WhatsApp, uh, Line, um, WeChat, which is the biggest service in, Ch in China, um, these communication apps aren't just about texting. You can call somebody on these apps, you can do watch little videos and you could share like a Facebook statuses on these apps. And the really cool thing about these apps is like on WeChat, you can write something in English and they can translate it into, uh, into Chinese. Or somebody could type, talk to me in Chinese and I could translate it in English. So even if we have that miscommunication gap, I can actually still have a full on conversation with somebody that doesn't know any English. I mean, how great is that? And it's, it's really about adapting into that. Um, so, so like uh, domestic language manipulation is about, is about like the restrictions that a certain area has to a certain culture. Um, I kind of connect this to like different dialogues within certain areas of a country. So like here in America, we have the South and the North. Um, like we have, in the North, they have like a more 
like the tone of voice is more chill, and here we talk with like a little like the Chicago accent, like like flat flat, and so um, those are the little things that you also notice abroad. Um, so language uh, dialogue, uh, local traditions versus so local traditions versus country traditions is that like you know how in Chicago we are known for pizza, well in local traditions you a certain a certain area can also be known for a certain a specific item like in Xi'an we have great uh, great meats and we have great noodles right and so that same idea is still applied to the certain area you literally have to go out there and explore and find out the differences between point A and point B um, context uh, I already touched on this the context of speaking between uh, north and south and stuff like that Oh yeah. Um, so when, so if any of you guys actually have dietary restrictions, um, because I am Muslim, I tend to not eat pork. And so what I did to manip uh, to like kind of deal with that was I went literally memorized what the different variations of the pork character would be, and like whenever I looked at a menu, I would say I would look at whatever has meat, and if it has the pork character, I wouldn't get it. But if it uh, if it doesn't, like if it doesn't have the pork character, I'd get it. If it does, I wouldn't. So it would be a quick way for me to just order any ra random item and still be good. Um, you said. Yeah, that's actually a, a really good question. And so, can, abroad, can you repeat the question for me? Uh, Kevin, repeat the question. Oh, um, so he asked um, if you go abroad, is there any way that being American or English speaking, you can communicate with somebody that can help you figure out um, all these different restrictions and stuff like that? And uh, my answer to that is yes. Well, when you go to China, um, where we studied, there is a place called the ACC, which is the American uh, Culture Center. And so here in the center, uh, there's people who have a dedicated job to help us adapt into the culture and help us better understand what we're doing. So you're not just going at it alone. You have a team behind you. It's that whole idea of like the group of people that go with you, they will help you and they will become just like family. Um, any further questions? All right, what not to do in a foreign country? Don't disrespect traditions at all. In China, they do this thing where um, on, I think it's either on the day a deceased ancestor died or on the birth, you know, when, when they were born. But what they do, they offer, um, they put an offering on, the, um, on their tomb. And usually it's just a bowl of rice and they take the chopsticks and then they you know, stick it upright in the bowl of rice. And we didn't necessarily learn the hard way that that's not what you do, but while we were eating in the cafeteria, that's what we would do. And we just get strange looks all across. Because it's considered an omen if you, if you do this. It's considered eight years bad luck. Um, you put the chopsticks in the bowl like, upright like that? Yeah, you, you can't do that, so no. <laughs> you gotta put, lay it sideways. Like this, or like this? But just uh, don't leave them facing downward yeah. on the plate. Uh, in the classroom, normally in America, we're, we're accustomed to debating with the teacher. If the teacher made a mistake, we'll call her out. Uh, her, not him, I mean. her, him. But in China, you can't do that. Uh, it's considered extremely disrespectful to uh, to basically talk back or try to get into a debate with her teacher. Um, you just kind of let the teacher do her thing. And if you think she made a mistake, you know, like during the, the, the lecture or, you know, on your grades or something, you have to talk to her uh, after class. Never, never during class. You can't put her on the spot. Um, disrespecting elders. 
normally in America, you'll just find, you know, that one teenage punk who thinks he's cool and he'll just like talk back to somebody like, you know, like 40 years older than him or something like that. In China, no, never, never that. Acting and speaking before thinking. Uh, basically, think before you take actions because any little thing you do could, could lead to a huge misunderstanding. So it's always better to think and act. What's up? No, no, it is customary to shake their hand, but the whole American firm handshake, yeah. it's not not like that over there. It's a, a little bit softer. Yeah, yeah. Um, don't, I worded this weird. Uh, basically, try to adapt to local customs and traditions. Uh, you know, you're basically going into a foreign country, completely ignorant of customs and traditions. And it's just a total waste to remain that way while you're in the country. Uh, you're studying abroad, you should take advantage of it and you should learn. And uh, probably the most important one is don't speak ill of the country's government. Never. Uh, in China, they're, they're a bit weird in China. Uh, they, they've calmed down. But way back during uh, Chairman Mao's era, if you were to, it was more communist then. If you were to uh, bad talk the government, you would be in a whole bunch of trouble. So you, it's important to uh, understand the local political environment. Very important to do that. Uh, now, so you were saying about obviously it's 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 disrespectful to it's not a good idea to be speaking ill of the government there. Yeah. But would you guys have Chinese students who would ask you guys questions about the American government? Were they curious about? The United States Honestly, in, in politics? Nah, they weren't, not really. Uh, there were times where we'd say we're from America, and uh, Chinese people that don't speak English would just shout Obama, Obama, <laughs> Obama. But with, 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 you know, smiles on their faces and everything. Yeah. They had uh, some of the funniest uh, shirts as well. Yeah, th there was a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, Obama gear over there, a lot of Obama merchandise. It was weird, but... <laughs> Anyways, uh, you have to understand that you're going by during the, the, the school during the uh, the school schedule. You're going by their own schedule. So obviously you probably won't have Christmas off, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> and they have different break yet yeah, obviously different different breaks uh, on different during different time periods. Like uh, we didn't actually have a winter break while we were there. We had a fall break, autumn break. We had uh, about a week and a half during uh, autumn. To, uh, to basically travel and do things like that because of the uh, Chinese Autumn Festival. And the schedule is obviously going to be unorganized, but in a way, it's kind of organized. You just kind of have to go with the flow. While we were there, uh, there was a lot of cancellations, last-minute cancellations. There was a lot of uh, you know, last-minute bookings. We'd find out like the night before that we had to be somewhere, like we had to be in a meeting or so. Like, um, we had this thing called English Corner, and it was supposed to be scheduled. Like, every Friday, we'd meet up with Chinese students in the ACC, like, uh, the, the library. And, you know, we'd just talk about random stuff, miscellaneous things. But most of the time, it would just be canceled. On a Thursday night, you know, we'd, we'd get a call, it's canceled. Or, like, a, say, Wednesday night, they moved it to Thursday morning. You know what I'm saying? To sum it up, it's pretty much summarizes. It was like the schedule was always switching. Um, it was it wasn't anything constant like we're used to here. Like here in America, we have this thing where um, our time is very valuable and we know it. So we don't actually like if somebody says they're going to be in some place in five minutes, you expect them to be there in five minutes. And in China, it's more like if, you, if somebody says they're going to be there in five minutes, and they say they're gonna be there in five minutes. You're just gonna wait half an hour. Like it's just it's just what's gonna happen, right? Like you gotta understand that a lot of other places around the world, that's how they are. Like 
it's the same thing in South America, to tell you the truth. And even Europe, it's the same idea. Like, uh, I, don't even, I haven't noticed any country that takes timing so seriously as America up to, the, up to this day. So anyway, uh, getting back to this. <laughs> um, knowledge, abroad, knowledge learned abroad, right? It's all about global tolerance, right? Uh, I mean, how many of you have, like, we all have very, a very diverse group of friends, especially living here in America. You never think twice about um, maybe seeing somebody that's Mexican or Hispanic, of the Hispanic extent. You never think twice about seeing somebody that's um, Asian here or of any cultural background. But when you're in different areas, it's not so common. I mean, imagine going somewhere and for say two months you see nobody that is Hispanic you see nobody that is a certain culture and it, it's like it's weird because you have to just kind of like understand that that's how it is that's how people were raised and it's the it's always about like global tolerance for differences it's not about global tolerance for the bad stuff because there's always going to be bad bad and bad and good go together you know you got to understand that nothing's ever going to be so perfect um, and you got to take it one in one um, like I said understand and underline cultural belief what I'm actually referring to in this topic is like the religious belief right um, many of us we have different again we're in America we have religious freedom right we can be Muslim we could be Christian we could be Hindi it doesn't matter and nobody's gonna judge us for it but other locations it's a little weird like you can be Muslim but like they're gonna be like oh my god you're weird or like you can be or you could be like only Hindu and they're gonna be like what why aren't you Christian like for for us it's not like that you know we all know that everybody has different beliefs and we accept that for what it is so you got to understand that like in a society um, you need to know what they're used to and maybe be tolerant about their ignorance or their or them not understanding where you're coming from because it's not their fault it's just the different situation that they were raised up in and you could always educate somebody about the differences it always it's never you can't just go from zero to 100 real quick you have Things get done in gradual, in gradual steps, like one, two, three. You know, and when you make friends and you start to explain to them like the differences between point, uh, person A and person B, then they start to understand slowly. But not, you can't just be like, oh my God, they're, they're this. Like, I'm gonna close myself off from that. No, you can't just do that. It's, it's wrong on your end uh, as the educator, and it's wrong on their end as well for not accepting your opinion. Um, so another little funny thing was how are Americans viewed abroad so honestly Americans get upcharged like it's it's just the pure and simplest format of what I realized so in China everything is negotiable like don't ever believe a set price somebody tells you $90 or like 90 of their currency you say 20 and like, you do not feel bad about it. You have to like stick to your plurals. And then you gotta, and then they'll be like, no, 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 I can't, I can't. And then you gotta be like, okay, 30. Like, and, and, and then if they say no, I swear, you walk out, the next shop over is gonna have the exact same item. It's all about competition. It, it, it's, it happened to me so many times. And like the first week, I, I walked around, like just looking for headphones, honestly. Uh, I went to some place, I bought some headphones for like 30, 35 kwai. I went to like the, per, the place next door, they were like 15 kwai. I'm like, I just didn't haggle enough. And, the, and when I originally bought this for 35, I was, I talked them down from like 120. Like, believe me, everything will be negotiable. Like, never take a surprise. Um, and so like, you know, we as Americans or like just as foreigners, People abroad, they just think that we all look the same. And that's so not true. Uh, I just came. That was just some funny things that some of my friends over there just told me. They're like, oh, you all look the same. I'm like, no, no. Like, I, I'm dark-skinned. Like, I don't, I'm not the same as Yusuf or something like that. And um, 
So we did a little video, uh, and we would like to show it to you. It's about um, an interview that we had uh, about our study abroad program. I really wanted to go to Xi'an and more specifically to travel to China or the Asias because I feel that that was like the new economic developing nation. Other than history classes, you don't hear anybody talking about temples and the diversity that each temple holds for each meaning. While I was there, I could see a 2,000 year old um, temple and when I came back here, I was kind of in culture shock, I would say. Um, and I was like, there's nothing that old, there's nothing with that rich culture that I could hold on to. And, you know, walk in there and just see like this diverse group of monks that like are still carrying their values from 2000 years ago today. I'm Colombian, I'm Palestinian, I travel. I'm 20 years old and I have been to 12 countries while traveling and while being there for four months and adapting into their society, Chinese society, I felt that, yeah, my future point of view on stuff has changed definitely a lot. There was this great play the first week that we went to, The Song of Everlasting Stars in uh, Xi'an. And it was, it was the most beautiful uh, Broadway, like you could compare it to Broadway, I would say, because I felt that it was better. It was a story of a king who had to kill his wife, his queen, for some reason. And so there was like a war between two different nations. And I think that it was based on the story of uh, Emperor Chen, Chen Shu Huan, which is the first emperor of China that united the country from six different city-states. And um, for me, that kind of impacted me because I, I, feel, I feel like I need to live a more international life. My, my perspective is that you, you can be self-reflecting, but you also have to be outwards. You have to give back, and you have to live a life where you can impact not just yourself, but impact as many, uh, as many people as you can, whether it's in business or whether it's in international trade. I feel that both are very, very good uh, areas to be in because they both uh, want to give back. I originally wanted to do business and economics and finance or economics and something because I'm very business oriented. My family has owned businesses when I was little and I learned how to manage those businesses and um, had the opportunity to see what I can do to like make them successful. Well, now since I came back from the study abroad program, I want to do something more internationally focused. I want to do uh, business, uh, international policy and business and so my goal with that major is to get into the Bill and Martha Gates Foundation, which is really where my dream job would lie. Other than that, I would like to do the Peace Corps for a little while. My major shift was slight, but it was so that I may be able to do something more abroad. I don't want to, I don't want to just do my job here and be satisfied with what I do here. I want to do something that would kind of help me impact thousands, ten thousands, or even hundred thousands, who knows. There we go. Okay, so what I learned abroad, um, I learned that knowledge acquired outside of the classroom is just as important as knowledge acquired inside of the classroom. Uh, while I was just hanging out with friends and things like that, I probably learned more about culture, customs, and traditions that I did inside of the classroom, to be honest with you. And you just learn a lot just from what you see, who you speak to, uh, what you hear. and. A very important thing that I learned is that environmental problems are, are more tangible in other, reason, in other regions. Here in America, we don't actually see uh, the devastating effects of, you know, uh, of waste. 
but in China, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's everywhere, but you can see it, uh, especially the pollution, the sediment in the air. Uh, it's not that bad normally, but in the city we stayed at in Xi'an, it's not that bad, but for two days, well, not two days, two nights, and uh, yeah, two, about two nights, the pollution kind of just surfaced. And literally, it was like fog everywhere. And if you put your hand out like this, it was almost impossible to see your own hand. And I, when I was traveling, I went down south to uh, Shenzhen. And they had a beach. The city has a beach. And it's crazy because the coastline was just littered with plastic. Like in the water, it's just plastic everywhere. Yards and yards and yards of just plastic. Uh, it's not something you see here in America, but as you travel, you see it, and it's a real eye-opener. It, uh, it makes you think a little bit more. And another thing is the cost of producing everyday items is actually pretty cheap. Like, for example, a lighter, which is a normal lighter, right? It goes, it goes for about, what, 75 to a dollar? 75 cents to a dollar over here? But in China, the same type of lighter you can buy for about 16 cents. And that's how much they sell it for. But if you think about it, the store has to make a profit, right? So say they make 10 cents profit, it really only takes like six cents just to make that lighter. And then, okay, got a little video too. I chose China as my study abroad program because it was affordable and, you know, my friend was already going. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to have some fun. Outside of the classroom, um, I learned a lot about uh, the way you negotiate with street vendors. Uh, a lot of them will just use hand signs instead of saying actual numbers. Prior to China, I actually haven't left the country. And being on the airplane, the 13-hour ride, to, uh, to China. It was actually my first time being on an airplane. So it was an experience from the start. Inside of the classroom, we learned a lot, but outside we learned a lot of valuable things about culture and the way the society is set up, the way it works. Um, there's a high respect for elders in China. Uh, if you're sitting down on a bus or on the train and an elder doesn't have a seat, as, the younger, as part of the younger generation, you have to give the elder your seat. Well, being in China, I'm obviously gonna try to learn the language. Um, I learned a lot through talking to uh, friends at my university and, you know, just what happened on the streets. Um, basically, there's like four different tones. And depending on how you pronounce it, you can be, you can literally be telling somebody, thank you, you're gonna be telling them to do something, or you can be telling them to die. So the tones are very important when it comes to uh, Chinese language. Prior to going to China, I was uh, undecided about my career. Um, I thought having a career teaching ESL would be enough. But after um, visiting Shenzhen, a major city in China down south, um, a friend of mine, we visited the beach. And the beach was just insane. There was plastic everywhere, all over the water. It was just washing up onto the sand and the shoreline. So I decided to think into a, um, a career in hydrology or marine biology in order to uh, either protect wildlife, aquatic wildlife, or prevent the pollution. I would like to say I had a, a pretty diverse group of friends. Um, I have you know, a Colombian-Palestinian friend, um, a Japanese exchange student, um, a Mexican friend who speaks Arabic. So. Uh, my group of friends was very diverse, uh, but even after going to China, it, it just expanded because um, there were also Korean students studying along with us, living in the same hotel as we did. So we befriended the Korean students. Uh, there were teachers, Belgian teachers, who uh, taught English, and English is their second language. So it was crazy, it was crazy. Uh, we befriended them, uh, multiple Chinese students on campus. So our circle definitely uh, increased in diversity. I was always keeping up with the news, um, but not so domestically in my own country. I wasn't really keeping up with what was happening in America. 
But uh, when I went to China, I met uh, another American student who is heavily into politics. Uh, he's a great guy, and he kind of got me into focusing more on what's happening in my own country rather than um, first focusing on, you know, abroad affairs. Go for it. We were studying last week um, about the uprising in 1989, Tiananmen Square, and um, basically, you know, and then how that leads to this transformation of China in the 1990s. Um, is that anything that you guys ever discussed with students there? Did it ever come up in conversations? Any of them have any knowledge of it? Because we've also discussed in, in class about if you could address that. And also, we discussed about um, technology and the issue of the internet. I know we talked about it. And I was wondering, like, you know how the internet was so slow. Like, we talked about how Google, was that me? Nope, that was oh, that me. That was you. That was <laughs> how Google was so difficult to access. It's through Hong Kong. And were you guys able to access Google Hong Kong while you were there? Or what would you, what would you usually use as your search engines? All right, so to sum summarize those questions pretty much, to access Google, we needed something called a VPN because China still has uh, some laws against certain companies, you know. I think that, it, I think that it's getting better. Um, and honestly, it's not that bad living without Google because there's always replacements. You got Bing and all that stuff. But the real problem, the real problem was the fact that um, when we needed to get online, our internet service was crap. So for me to make a phone call home, it literally took me like arranging like 30 minutes like it just I it wouldn't my internet wouldn't work I would have to do like I would literally have to pretty much go to like the server and just like please work iPad please like just crossing my fingers that the signal actually would work for like long enough to talk to my family back here and it's not really typical because the land connections are usually crap but what I noticed was like the cell phone connections were good um, so if you got like a personal phone while you were there, they would always work. And if you got your own connection, like internet connection, that, those would work as well. So it, was, it always depended on the situation that you were facing. Um, so what else? I know you may have a mic. So I guess what I'm asking is, we're, so if you got your own, did you guys get your own phones? And did you get your own, was it the VPN, what did you guys call it? What did you call it? The VPN. VPN. Yeah, did you have that? So were you able to search for pretty much anything? Or were there restrictions on things that you could search? Or were you not aware while you were there? Were there no restrictions uh, on things that you could look up? So with the VPN, what it does, it's a, I don't know, I don't know how to describe a VPN, to be honest with you. But it allows you to access blocked sites. So when you turn the VPN on, you connect to Hong Kong or Japan or whichever country that doesn't block Google, Facebook, and, and the works. You can just search up whatever you want, basically. That's if the VPN is working with the internet connection. Okay. So. Thank you. Yeah. And then about the Tiananmen Square thing? Oh, so um, I actually had a personal experience with this. Uh, I was in Beijing. Uh, one of my friends named Alan, uh, he uh, showed me around and I actually brought up the topic as I was going to Tiananmen Square. And um, there's like a little tunnel underneath where like you put your bags just for security purposes. And he was telling me, you can talk about it, but it goes back to, I think I mentioned this earlier, talk about it in private, not in public. Like people are totally fine with you saying whatever you want, but in public, some of these topics, 10 years from now, they wouldn't be so controversial as China still develops. But today, it, we're still in a time period where the infrastructure is changing and there's still a little bit of like that scaredness from like the eight from like the 90s. So he just told me, you can talk about this and ask me these questions, but do just a little later when we weren't in the tunnel going up to the area. So it was it was my own fault for asking that question at the wrong period of time. Would you, I mean, you wouldn't think about, you wouldn't probably censor what you're saying here in the United States. You just wouldn't think about it. You would just talk anywhere. And so that's just an example of a difference in culture that you had to be more aware of what you were saying and, and to whom and in what context. Definitely. Um, about that culture connection. And I mean, it's, I mean, who, which one of us would really 
It's like talking about that controversial topic in um, Tiananmen Square around the same around that area. It would be the same as going to New York and talking about what happened during like 9/11. It's still a topic that you don't want to talk about because it's not very open. And it's not because it's really censored. It's just because it's still like touchy and feely, and there's a lot of emotions behind it, and people have very strong opinions about it. So you got to understand that, and a little later you can adapt into that situation. Does, is that? Yeah. Can I ask one more? Sorry, because yeah. <laughs> it's because it's totally stuff that we talked about in here. Like, did you guys ever feel that you were um, in any way? My, my, a student of mine that studied abroad previously in China, I told you guys about, about Dana, um, that she had said that there were times when that, that they, she was pretty sure that security forces like, had searched their rooms um, while they were studying there. And I'd asked you guys that you guys said no, but did you ever feel at any point in time that you had to like, kind of engage in, besides that time with Tiananmen Square, like self-censor, or did you feel like any time that you were being watched or that you were being paid extra attention to because you were American? Or do you not do you not think that they really they were whoever the they, the elusive they is that nobody was really paying attention to what you were doing? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I've never experienced that problem. I don't think none of us actually have. Like even um, on my way back to Chicago, as I was going through the airport, my bags just kept on beeping, and then we were all just going through my bags for you know about a good half hour. And they still kept beeping, but they just let me go. So there really wasn't any like. Uh, tough security restrictions, I guess. Uh, they were pretty laid back. Thanks, you guys. All right. Um, so this is a list of uh, study abroad programs that Marine Valley offers. Um, I can actually, Fafliz, Ms. Fafliz, <laughs> can tell you more about this than I can, so if you'd like. Sure. I mean, so the programs that we have up here are programs that are short-term and, and semester-long programs. So Austria, England, Ireland, Spain, China are all full semester programs abroad. Um, Costa Rica, uh, Spain, France, Jordan, uh, and Belize is actually, those are all shorter term programs as well as uh, Belfast, Northern Ireland too. So we do have, the, those are the programs that we have. So if you are interested, and thank you guys for putting my email address up there. You can contact me about studying abroad in Moraine Valley. And here's, um, we just, I just put what I thought are the most two transferred universities, UIC and uh, U of I. They also have uh, a lot of study abroad programs. And if your transfer college isn't listed here, all you really have to do is just, you know, go do a quick Google search, the name of your college, and then study abroad programs. And then you'll just have a whole bunch of results. And uh, there's also uh, independent study abroad programs without school. Um, so you're not in school, there's still, a, you know, a few ways you can, you know, go abroad and study and uh, do things of the such. All right, so I'm actually talking about this. It's financing and who doesn't like financing, right? <laughs> it's a little, all about that money, right? So I'm just going to say, going to be a little quick about it. Uh, financing is kind of cool, right? Um, it's about the money and how you're going to pay for these programs, right? Um, Truth be told, the study abroad programs are not cheap, whether they're here or at four-year university. They range anywhere from $5,000 to $12,000, and none of, that ha none of us have that type of money in our pockets. And so it takes preparation to kind of figure out how you're going to pay for it and how you're going to afford it. And so you got to know, if you receive financial aid, the financial aid will be applied to your uh, study abroad program. There are a little, uh, a kind of, couple like slowdowns along the way. So you do have to talk about, you do have to talk to financial aid office to them and let them know that you're doing a study abroad program and um, talk, talk, like explain to them what you need. And they're really gonna help you and you're gonna always get that money that you would get regularly for like the one semester or a summer program. Um, it's all, a, I, also, I also thought that like financing would be kind of interesting when it comes to budgeting and money management. Because um, you know, everything's like things are cheap, but money flows like water. You know, um, say like when you're abroad, and you'd have that ratio of one to six, so one dollar is equal to six kwai. You kind of like just kind of lose yourself, because <laughs> I mean, you'd ha 
like for the first time you feel like you actually have money and you can attain like so much. And so what you got to learn is that you have money, but it's the savings that you have to make last for like four months, six months, you know. And it's not, you can't go out and spend like a thousand kwai in one day, which is $150, but it's still a lot of money. Like we can't, you can't go do that every day. Like a full meal in China costs about $2.5. So like that's lunch. And you, that's getting like a really good lunch, including dessert, and like maybe like and maybe like a little a little like ice cream on the side, you know. <laughs> so it's actually pretty cool. Um, but you got to know that managing your money is important. Don't be spending it all at one place. And like I said, uh, like uh, haggle, because the haggling, even if you don't have to, it's like cultured. It's like something that you learn from the culture. And like China, it, like, I, I actually love the haggling, but that's because I, I'm very interested in business and the financing area, but some of my friends didn't like to do it so much, and so they were paying a little bit more. And um, one time I had one of my friends just take me with him. He was like, all right, I'm gonna go buy, buy this. Can you come with me? And then uh, we went to this place. He, they were charging like 500, and he's, he's just, He's a cool guy, but he hates to haggle. So like, he would not do it, and I'm like, all right, so what do you need? Uh, this, I'm like, all right, just give me five minutes. All right, you pay him 250. All right, that's it, problem solved. Um, then it's the exchange rate. Like I said, it's one to six, or it varies between the area that you go to. In South America right now, it's one to three, and um, you have to take advantage of it and use the money properly. Um, this is something that users can talk about. So if you don't get a scholarship, uh, taking out a student loan is a great way to pay for the, uh, for the program. Uh, a student loan, obviously. Um, but there's a catch. If you do work study, you're going to get uh, significantly less than what you were originally able to, uh, to, to, to take. And, uh, you know, but you'll have a lot of time to pay off the student loan. And, uh, and most of your student loan will be subsidized, which means uh, no interest, basically. The government will just pay for the interest. Unsubsidized is when uh, you have to pay for the interest. Okay. Yeah. So um, just a little further analysis on the exchange rate and money management. Uh, I thought this was a little important to say. Was understand the standard of living within the area that you're at. So if you're in a first world country or a second world country, you gotta know how much is fair to pay for a certain area. Uh, the monetary equivalence, so how much you'll pay for a lighter here versus there. Um, how to take advantage of the exchange rate, which is something that I said already. Um, know the haggling um, and money management, uh, how much you can spend and stuff like that. Um, the new topics that I wanna talk about here would be time management and freedom of knowledge. Because, because you do have all that freedom while you go abroad, you need to understand that you still have a responsibility to do your homework and do your schoolwork. You know, going abroad is this whole new experience, but you can't let it get to you to the point where like, you're not completing your assignments because it's still a credited program, you know? And if you do receive a scholarship, they want stuff from you. Like they want a 3.0 GPA. And that's important for you to remem remember the whole entire way, because you don't want to fail that. If you fail one of these, if you especially fail like the responsibility for schoolwork, you're going to have to pay like the equivalent of however they gave you. If they gave you three thousand, you're gonna have to come up with three thousand to pay them back. You're talking about if a student gets a scholarship, like yeah. you, like you guys did with Gilman, basically it was you, contingent that if you didn't do well in your grades, you'd have to pay that money back. Yes. Um, Typically, it's C's or above for Gilman, but other scholarships have like three point, like B's on every single class, and it always varies, to tell you the truth. So it just has to be on the scholarship that you apply to. All right, one of the, uh, the important scholarships that uh, cover most of your tuition fees if you do decide to study abroad is the Boren, Boren Scholarship Award. Um, basically, uh, the most important information is already on the slide. Uh, they provide funding for uh, uh, lesser studied countries, basically, uh, for example, uh, like Zimbabwe or something. 
Uh, nobody really studies over there. So if you decide to, to uh, study abroad over there, uh, you have a higher chance of getting this award. And they offer up to 8,000 for a summer semester, 10,000 for a semester, and 20,000 for a whole year. They'll, they basically pay the entire tuition. Um, and it also focuses the scholarship. Uh, it awards, it's awarded to people who are studying in a country that it is uh, important to uh, US national security. And if you still want to read. Yeah, okay. So the Fulbright Scholarship is a scholarship that is offered to people who are um, within the journal within journalism. Um, they're within writing, law, business, and other professions. Um, it is open to teach to teaching abroad, um, and pretty much what this whole scholarship program does is, once you come back from studying abroad. It gives you a scholarship, and in addition, it guarantees you an internship. So when you come back, you're going to have an internship somewhere based off of a government position, which is great for the experience, you know? Um, just like if you want to get that career, uh, like I mentioned earlier, SWIFT, or you want to work out as an ambassador, you kind of want the internship so that you could further uh, develop your study abroad um, knowledge. Um, I'm going to talk about the, uh, about the scholarship that me and Amjad got, uh, the Benjamin A. Gilman Scholarship. Uh, it's a pretty good scholarship. It's open to uh, all U.S. citizen, all U.S. citizen undergrads, uh, whether you're in a university, private college, community college, it doesn't actually matter. In order to, uh, to acquire the scholarship, you need to be a student of financial need. Uh, if you're eligible for the Pell Grant, then you're also eligible for the scholarship. And an important thing is for the statement of purpose and the follow-on service project papers to, it, it's take your time and don't rush it, basically. Um, be sure that, that you put all your time and effort, not all your time and effort, but a decent amount of time and effort into it. And there's also a catch with getting the, the scholarship. It's the follow-on service project itself, basically what we're doing right now. Uh, we're, promo we're promoting, um, study abroad and the, the government scholarship itself. And that's something that, if you do get the scholarship, that's something that you'll have to do. You'll have to uh, come up with you know, a creative way to promote study abroad and the government scholarship. And um, the cool thing about it, if you want more information, they have uh, webinars and workshops. So basically, you can just log in with your laptop and you can just you know, attend a seminar through your laptop or through your desktop, whatever it is. And, uh, Uh, to, all right, so to finalize, um, there is world differences, right? Uh, you, have, uh, you have to understand point of view from an international, uh, like points of views from international perspective understanding means that you have a world out there. It's not just about here, but it's about this whole perspective. You got to know that there's a lot, of the, a lot of opportunities out there, and if you really attempt to reach them, you're going to meet so many people. You're going to have the best time of your life and you're gonna meet like you're gonna be extremely happy. International relations will help you to maybe open up your mind to like what is offered in the world. Like say a, a different culture like Chinese, like they have they have these respectful traditions that, you know, now I will never forget. Um, you know, somebody told me something was wrong, I need to like, okay, this is wrong and maybe it doesn't maybe it can apply to the America too, you know, uh, that idea of crossing the chopsticks, maybe it's not a tradition here, but I mean, I don't, I feel like it would be kind of bad to, to put your chopsticks down because you just put your mouth on those chopsticks and then putting it back in your food, just kind of like, I, it would be kind of like, why double tap, just like, uh, just like with ketchup or something, like, you don't want to do that, like double dip, um, so just put them on the side, it's just some so simple. The economic differences from the entire world. So, you know, some that happens here in Colombia, 
uh, affects some that would happen here in the Middle East or some that happens here in Russia. Um, our economic differences give us advantages and disadvantages. And especially when you're abroad, you got to understand that like some people aren't as fortunate as you, so you can help out. And um, finally, it's about domestic social acceptance. Um, is when you come back, you can't let what you did um, really like traumatize you. Like it's just, it goes back to like that whole idea of the um, culture shock. And you notice that like at the beginning, at the end, like right here. Like when the guy finished his education and came back, he was like all the way down back at depression. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let be that guy because you will miss your friends and you will kind of be sad. But it's always you got to remember the positive things about you know meeting the new people and you still have the way to communicate with them and always be best friends. You know you always have communication with people abroad. Just got to be accepting of what's out there. He's a Well, uh, that kind of concludes our presentation. I'd like to thank all of you for, for joining us and sitting through this.